to EST. If you love the established church, this is the place to have conversations about why the established church matters, how to better serve her, and to hear stories every week about how God is using the church for His glory and our good. The show is hosted each week by Sam Rayner, Josh King, and Micah Fries. We're glad you're here. Hey, what's up? And welcome to another episode of EST, the podcast for established church leaders by established church leaders. My name is Josh King. Sam Rayner is on, as well as Mike Fries. How are you, brother? Freeze. Somebody said fries to me yesterday. <laughs> That's awesome. And I've my, been meaning to bug you about it. So it's like right on the front of my mind because um, I messed with this other person for saying and, and, it wrong. And Mike is so wrong. used to it that I, it, do, it doesn't even phase him. But I yeah, literally phrase. will respond to anything at all. I, I've told you guys the worst my the worst way my name was ever pronounced, right? Have I told you uh-uh. that story? No. Yeah, so I was, called, I was called Mitch Fritz one time. <laughs> <laughs> and and Micah, you're so snotty. I am not feeling 100%. It's mostly a bad cold, but I am, yes, full of snot this morning. Mm-hmm. So for all the podcast listeners, you're quite welcome. <laughs> Here you go. You don't even get when, when, when You know when you get a cold and your voice gets a little lower? Um, yes. Micah's like in Bottoms lower out. octaves that no one, he's like his, the, the frequency of his voice is so low mm-hmm. that th- there's only a, a few people that actually Dogs hear are hearing it. Dogs are hearing it And the hogs are called. Um, so I'm excited. We have a new, uh, kind of sponsor to the show. It is Church Initiative, great partners in, uh, ministry. Yes, this is really exciting. Um, we have partnered up with uh, Church Initiative, a great resource provider. Um, you may know some of what they do through grief share or divorce care, um, but uh, they have these kits and they it's everything you need for this 13-week video-based support. Connect your volunteer uh, at your church. They just need one volunteer with Church Initiative coaches. They'll take it from there. It's a great, great program. Uh, uh, you can use them for outreach. Um, you can use it to, you know, just recruit people, build effective, sustainable community ministry. Uh, the videos kind of have a documentary news magazine feel. They're really mm. unique. Right. Uh, and it's one of the reasons people love their programs. So, you know, past- one of the things that I like about it is that I often hear that pastors will say, you know, people came to Christ through divorce care or grief share. You know, oh, yes. Yeah. Lots of fruit comes out of that and just connections both into Jesus and into their small groups. It's a great time to hit a, you know, a tough spot for people and, and we, uh, to them. We were, I was literally talking to our discipleship pastor yesterday about a couple that is going through a challenging time. And our answer was, hey, we've got grief share starting up in the next couple of weeks at our church. And we're going to move them in that direction towards grief share because we knew it's a, a, a good opportunity for them to be able to sort of walk through and manage the grief that they're dealing with. So, and, yeah, and big believers of it. Yeah. And we're glad to have them as a sponsor. That's part of the issue with us. Um, Finding a sponsor uh, is we really want to believe in what we're talking about, and it's kind of weird if you don't. Mm-hmm. So, um, this is really good stuff. Um, you know, pastors and leaders frequently report that, yes, people come to Christ while going through divorce care, while while going through grief share. They're produced by a company called Church Initiative, uh, but the resource is really the important thing, divorce care, grief care, uh, divorce care, grief share, make sure I get the products right. Mm-hmm. Um, so here's where you can go. You can go to churchinitiative.org 
forward slash EST. So churchinitiative.org forward slash EST. You can learn more. Uh, everything will also be in the show notes at samrainer.com. You can click on the link there. Uh, either place will get you to these resources. So go check them out. Fantastic partner. And we're glad to have them. Our topic today is going to be one that's tough. I mean, just the very idea of it puts uh, knots in our stomach as church leaders. And the topic is church discipline. We're talking about the real one, right? Not just like a smack on the hand. We're talking about the full-fledged scriptural church discipline practice. Um, yeah. But, on that um, note, I'm going to go ahead and turn off my microphone and go away and y'all just deal with this for the rest of today. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so this does not apply to the turn the other cheek paradigm where you're actually slapping someone as an insult right, that yeah. I don't I don't think that's what church discipline is mm -mm. no it's not and you know the the problem or one of the issues that we have clearly seen in churches is that there you know let me say it this way we all understand that the idea of church discipline or following through with disciplining somebody is not something people-pleasing pastors want to do. And I don't mean people-pleasing in a bad way. We just are generally people-pleasers, so we don't want to do that. However, the effects of decades of people not being disciplined in churches is taking root in so many churches. Churches are dying because somewhere down the road, the person or the people responsible for the protection of the sheep or the protection of the church didn't tell somebody, no, stop. You can't do that, you know, that sort of thing. So it's a topic that we clearly need to address and uh, kind of work through and grow the backbone to do it. Yeah, you know, I think a lot of people kind of cringe at the thought of church discipline, both members and uh, church leaders, pastors, it, it, because th there's this old paradigm, this old model in your head of you're going to drag somebody, literally drag somebody up on stage uh, mm -hmm. during a business meeting and call them out for, you know, being in the bar on Saturday and then tell them unless they repent in front of everybody that they're going to be excommunicated from the church. Right. You know, there's these horror stories of it's that's not even church discipline, right? That That's just shaming. So, this idea that church discipline is shaming, one, that's not biblically correct uh, or even close to the proper theology of what church, church discipline is. But I think, I think a lot of people have some horror stories of either something that's happened to them or somebody they know or just some stories they've heard in general. And it, and it kind of makes people feel a little icky about the whole thing. Right. Have yeah, you guys, do you all remember the short story, The Lottery? Um, came out like in the mid-century where um, – I don't know. You just have to go, kind of Google it. And uh, that's the imagery I get when I think of the old style of church discipline. It's just like uh, this random person gets drawn out and then the whole town stones them. Um, that's, oh, that's, wow. that's, it's gruesome. It's bad. The ending shocks you. That's kind of how this church discipline sort of feels. Yeah, I would say a couple things about church discipline. One, I would say on the positive side, I think often we don't practice church discipline. There's a whole host of reasons why we don't. But I think sometimes we think of church discipline as a program or a process. And it's not to say that there isn't a process involved with it. The Bible sort of Matthew 18 lays out a process. But more than anything, I think it's important for us to understand that church discipline is a process of sanctification, right? Mm -hmm. that, that's the intent behind church discipline is to help keep any believer from persistently running down the road of unrepentant, sinful behavior. So first, let's understand that this is sanctification. It's discipleship, right? right? The other side of it, I think, is to acknowledge that pastoral malpractice does exist and that all of us could sell, tell stories of pastors who have inappropriately used something like 
church discipline to basically just get their way, if mm. you will, or to manhandle sort of their authority in the church. And that's equally a problem. Now, that doesn't mean we should avoid church discipline. It just means that we should be very, very cautious as we go about engaging in church discipline. Yeah, I think that when we talk about discipline, at least for me, it's helpful to picture a good father. So I know we have a good, good father, but to picture a good father. Thank you, Chris Tomlin. (laughs) So (laughs) that would be, it helps me because as with my sons, not everything is, um, you know, a paddling. Not everything is, you've got to give me your phone. Not everything rises to that level. Some of it is a stern look. Some of it is a, um, even, even when you pull somebody aside and encourage them in the way that they should go, that's discipline as well. It's not just force. Sometimes it's encouragement or it's strengthening. And so there's this whole level. And one of the reasons I think that the end result or, or the abuses happen is because in some settings and in some veins, uh, and I would say wayward veins of Christianity, church discipline is only authoritarian. It's only um, extreme, you know, and it's to keep everybody strictly in line. There's a lot of church discipline, um, the extremes, that can be avoided if the shepherds or the leaders had for years been walking with people and loving them and encouraging them, put your arm around them. Or you know, sometimes you just have a conversation say, hey, don't, that's not allowed. Don't say that kind of stuff. That's, that's destructive. Again, which is my point, church discipline is sanctification. It's exactly. discipleship. When yeah. somebody, somebody, I've been asked many times before, what is an offense that rises to the level of church discipline? Mm, good topic. Any unrepentant sin mm. would qualify, right? Any unrepentant sin. Because what is discipline based on Matthew 18? If you see your brother, if they've committed a sin against you, if you see they're committed an offense, go to them and call them. So I think sometimes we formalize this process in our minds far more. The Bible is so relational, right? Oh, yeah. Uh, the Bible is written in the context of relationship, not in the context context of necessarily like a formal process, though there can be process to this. What we see in Matthew 18 is me loving someone enough to say, hey, I I noticed that you said or did. That's a really unwise decision. And in my experience, 90% of the time, that's where it stops. Exactly. They say, oh, you're right. Or maybe it takes a couple of days. They come back and say, you're right. I shouldn't have. I'm sorry. That's church discipline. It's discipleship. It's loving one another enough to confront them. Um, but can sometimes you, it has to rise above that. Yeah. Can any you, cor- any correction, whether it be one on one or in groups, and and unfortunately corporate as well, you know, church wide. But any correction is that first step of church discipline. And Mike is right. The vast majority of church discipline cases, it it, it is more just that correction, which we all need. Mm-hmm. We all need that level of yeah, accountability. Right. <clears throat> can each of and you we should, um, share like a story? Like a short story, a time in which you did do that sort of thing where you pulled somebody aside and said, hey, that's not cool. Uh, just kind of a topic or anything. I think that would be encouraging to people. Yeah. I mean, just just this week, I, I sat down with somebody and I we talked about, uh, I won't get into the details, but sure. we talked about uh, discernment hmm. and how a particular decision showed a lack of discernment. Um, they agreed, they apologized, and it was done. Hmm. Um, and, you know, there's times when I – so I have systems of accounting built in uh, for me in the church. And there's times when um, – and it's through my deacons, I've given them in an Act 6 sort of model, given them that permission to, hey, you see something in me, you, you need to correct me. So particularly the chairman of my deacons, he's, he's my accountability partner. Um, you know, he's come to me and he said, hey, Sam, I think I know what you meant by this, 
but it wasn't exactly done in the best way. And I go, you know what? You're right. And I go and I apologize to the person that I said something to. Um, that's church discipline. And it's done in love. It's done in grace. It's done like, hey, I want the best for you. I, I, I want you to do better at this thing called following Christ. I, I want you to grow. Uh, and, and so the posture of church discipline uh, doesn't need to be anger. The posture of church discipline needs to be, I really care about you and I want I want you to, to do better here. Um, it needs to be, at least at the start of it, it needs to be more encouraging than it needs to be discouraging. What about you, yeah, I, Well, before I give you a specific example, I'm going to piggyback on what Sam just said. Um, I, I preached on this, uh, not specifically on church discipline, but we were talking about confrontation uh, two or three weeks ago. And one of the things I said, and, and I think is incredibly true, I'm scared of the person who enjoys confrontation, mm-hmm. but I'm also scared of the person who refuses to confront. Right. Yeah. And so when you talk about posture, no one should walk into a process of confrontation. Giddy, man, I can't wait. I get to do this. And we all know people who are like that. Right. Oh, yeah. That's Wonder evidence of a somebody. sin problem in and of themselves. Yeah. I'm going to That's come me, by the way. It. That's the, I, I, I love conflict and confrontation it's why before i was in before i was a pastor i traded futures and commodities uh i loved i loved the just the all-out fight um and and i say i i have to watch myself like that i i know know thyself i have to know that about me so i'm interrupting but i'm just letting you know that uh, of the, for those of you pastors who are out there who kind of get that thing inside of you, like, oh, yeah, I've got to fight. I can't wait. Uh, that's me. I'm with you. And, and stop it. Just stop it. <laughs> well, that's that's it. Yeah, I'm, I'm scared of the person, I mean, Sam, to be honest with you, who wants it, who sort of is itching for the confrontation and the fight. But I'm also scared of the person who refuses to confront. And uh, they can sometimes mask that posture in humility, but it's not loving at all. And so instead, when it comes to posture, we should have a we should be resolute that we ought to do it while at the same time sort of deeply concerned that we wish we wouldn't have to and we don't desire to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Now, with that said, Josh, so I, I, I was thinking about a couple of examples I could give you, but let me give you a different one instead. Let me give you one when somebody confronted me oh, and uh, I had this is not too long ago, maybe six or eight months ago. And I had said something in a sermon that I don't think my statement was sin, but it was not loving. And it was, um, it was kind of a flippant offhand comment, but it was border. Yeah. A little bit of a dart. It was borderline inaccurate. And, um, it's, it's weird for me to say that without fully explaining it, but anyway, yeah. Yeah. So an individual who was affected by what I said, because it was a personal, uh, there was a personal investment in what I was talking about just that week sent me an email and just said, Hey, Micah, like, I I feel like what you said was not fair. It was inaccurate. And and they didn't say this, but immediately I thought they're right. And I was not kind about how I said it. And so the following Sunday, not only did I have to say to them, I'm sorry, but I felt like I owed it to the church to stand up the following Sunday and say, you know what? I made a reference. Here's the reference I made last Sunday. I was wrong. I'm sorry. And to me, I say to our church all the time, I don't want to be a part of a church where they don't care enough about me to say something to me when I've done something wrong. Mm. I want to look for a church that loves me enough that they're not going to let me run headlong into sin. Yeah. And I don't know that a lot of us look for that in a church. No, but we need it. We do. I'll share a story, not in this church, but in a previous church, I had gotten wind that there were uh, two nursery workers and they were this was a smaller church and these nursery workers were always the nursery workers right the, every sunday that that's what they did they rocked the babies which is fine however 
um, another volunteer in there had heard them repeatedly just in their in their chats they were telling racist jokes and uh, these weren't up for interpretation they were flat racist jokes and so um, I had been a new pastor I wasn't there very long but I did have to go to women who were not old enough to be my mother they were old enough to be my grandmother both of them and say hey um, you cannot ever tell jokes like that if the punchlines are ever derogatory towards another race or just in general let's not sit in the nursery and tell derogatory jokes period and but uh, the babies don't understand the babies don't understand but i said that sort of attitude in those jokes just are not allowed you cannot do it and immediately of course i got the you know different times different generations it wasn't meant offensive and i said you know it doesn't matter it's not allowed ever and so by all accounts, it stopped. You know, there was never another accusation. There was never another time where that could happen. Um, I got a, I became the butt of several of the jokes, but uh, at least we had cleared up that segment there. But I want to encourage our listeners. We all three get it. Well, maybe not Sam as much, but we don't like to do that. We hate doing that. Um, <laughs> and and for the record, I am fully admitting that that is a <laughs> sinful proclivity of mine. That. I am not like that yeah, uh, yeah. Most, most times, times. Um, and it's usually with my wife because she is, the, she is, I'm all fight, she's all flight, and so the way our arguments look is she's literally running to different rooms of the house while I'm chasing her around and wanting to fix things. Um, fix in, in so brackets. I, I, <laughs> yes, in, 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 quote, in, in air, air quotes. quotes there. So I just, I, and I don't. I don't enjoy berating people. Sure. I just en- I just enjoy a good fair argument. Yeah. I love the debate. I just just want to be clear right. about that. But if I'm, you're listening and I'm you're not like, I'm not wanting to harm anybody. If, I don't get a kick I don't get a kick out of harming. Yeah, but if you're listening and you're like, man, I think I need to have a conversation with this guy or this lady, but it's not going to be fun. Well, we we get it. But not all of leading a church is fun. Some of the stuff is not fun, but it's still what you got to so, do. So let's talk about Matthew 18. Okay. Um, so I think we can all agree that church discipline needs to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we can all agree that it needs to happen with grace, that we want to be encouraging, not discouraging through this process. Um, so when you get to Matthew 18, there's other passages, obviously, that point to what the, the restoration process looks like. So first, reconciliation, restoration is always the default position. You go into it hoping and assuming that somebody will do what they're supposed to do. Um when we get to Matthew 18, though, there's kind of this escalation effect, right? Um, you go one-on-one. If that doesn't work, take a couple people with you. If that doesn't work, then tell the church. That's what it says. In Matthew 18, who is the church? Mm. What le- do, do, At what time are you taking something before the whole of the church, and is that ever appropriate? So, I'll tell you the way we've handled it at multiple churches that I've been in. Um, first, when people hear church discipline, there does seem to be sort of this implied belief, at least in my experience, that if I see someone in sin, I need to go tell the pastors about it. And I don't think that's what church discipline is calling for. I think the onus, the responsibility is on the one who's aware of the sin. Mm -hmm. And so if someone comes to me and says, and I've done this before, if they come to me and say, well, X, Y, Z is doing X, Y, Z, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Uh, my response to them is I'm. I mean, okay, I'm glad you told me that, but I can't do anything 
about it because I don't respond to secondhand for information. You have a biblical responsibility to go to them. Yeah. And if they still refuse, then come talk to me and we'll walk through the next step. And so, um, first I think there is a responsibility on church discipline is a responsibility of every follower of Jesus who's a part of the church community. And by the way, I also would argue that the process of church discipline is not necessarily something that we have a responsibility to outside of the local church. And this is my ecclesiology and y'all could disagree with me if you needed to, but I mean, you can't put somebody out of the church who's not in your church. And so while I think 100% agree. Yeah. Yes. Well, I think it's good and right. I mean, helpful if you want to go confront somebody else who's out there. That's not the model that we see in Matthew 18, right? We see it's a reference to your local church community. So yeah, everybody in the church has a responsibility. Both of you from my church. So. Yeah, you can't excommunicate you cannot members from other churches that's oh, yeah. right praise and the you Lord. can't excommunicate an unbeliever yeah. so stop right. stop doing that's that right. so okay so then for me the next step if the person rejects it generally it goes to some level of leadership whether it's elders pastors where that they can get involved in helping and i'll just be honest with you from this point until the point it's taken to the church on the whole and my experience is usually a rather lengthy time i can think of one case where by the time it got to the pastors it was three years from that moment before we took it to the church because the individual was willing to meet with me weekly for discipleship and after you know and i I met with him weekly for three years and after the end of three years unrepentance was still present and we finally move forward. Now, I probably wouldn't wait that long typically, but if an individual is willing to go through the process of discipleship, I want to give them every possible opportunity to repent and and turn toward Christ. And so then you get to take it to the church. In my experience, that means you take it to the entire congregation in some sort of formal business session where you ask the church, because I think the authority in that text is given not to the pastors, not to a, a few leaders, it's given to the church. And the church... The Bible says uh, immediately after that, right, we're, we're two or three. In fact, it, when we look at the passage of church discipline, where two or three are gathered in my name, I'm there with them. That's not a reference to God showing up if two people happen to be meeting together. I've always thought that an odd in uh, an odd interpretation, but that's the way I hear most people refer to it. That passage is, a, is a specifically a passage about church discipline, that when the church gathers together for the purpose of exercising church discipline, God is in that. They speak, in a sense, with the voice of the Lord. Mm. And so, um, now, the way that happens, though, can be difficult because there can be some rather intimate details in there. And so, the way I've handled it in the past is to provide a general description of what the sin nature is, you know, the nature of the sin is, and ask the church, uh, explain the process of, you know, pursuing reconciliation up to that point, and then ask the church to, to move and remove that person from church membership. But that's the way we've handled it before. You guys might disagree. Yeah, so I'll, I'll throw my two cents in here and say that not every offense, even in an unrepentant situation, is an excommunicable offense. Um, you know, there are, I think that there are certain things that if a person does, there needs to be some consequence, and that could be removal of leadership, that could be any number of things. I, you know, I don't know that I would excommunicate every unrepentant sinner in the church. Mm-hmm. Um, there are times to do that. I've done it one time. Um, through my ministry of, you know, actually going through the whole process of excommunication, you know, at, a, at in our context, it was a church business meeting. And, you know, it's because the individual threatened to kill someone and, you know, was very serious about doing it. So somebody else in the church who just happened to be named Sam. So um, that was, uh, th- <laughs> that was something that we kind of, yeah, that was something that we kind of had to do. Um, but that being said, you know, 
I, I don't I don't know that every unrepentant sin when it says tell the church there, I don't I don't know that that's in every case that the whole church needs to mm-hmm. know. Does that make sense? Yeah. It, it does mean, make sense to me. I'm not sure if I would agree with you, Sam, but it does make sense. I get your logic. Yeah. I will also say I agree with you both. Uh, Mike, I have had the same conversation with folks who will come up and say, well, you know, I just want to let you know that so-and-so is doing such. And my my standard reply is, what did they say when you asked them about it? What did they say when you talked to them about it? If they don't respond, they say, well, I haven't talked to them about it. Okay, you got to do that. Look, you, you can't talk to other people about that. I said, so you need to go back and speak to them. Also, just by pastoral reminder, if you speak to other people about this, that's gossip. So go and talk to the person. Don't, you know, there's a couple. I, I think you can talk to your spouse. I think you can talk to your advisors or mentors. But in general, don't go tell the whole church before you've told them. And uh, like we've said already, 99% of cases stop right there. Like, I mean, it just it ends there. But uh, for me, the only time I've ever had to practice church this one to answer your question, Sam, uh, the next phase up was the elders, because at that church we had three elders and uh, we spoke to them and, uh, you know, and that kind of we never ended up taking it to the whole of the church. But I had um, it, it brings me to a question when we did that level there. They got all huffy and mad and left, right? That was that's you're going exactly where I was thinking. That's usually what happens. They usually do they that. They leave the church. But then somebody challenged me one time and said, "You still have to take them to the church body and you know, dissolve their membership." And so I've never gotten to that point. Um it's not because I refuse to, it's just because I never had another case and you know, there's a part of me that's glad I don't have a lot of these cases, but uh, a huge part of me. But are you supposed to? What do y'all do? You, after yeah, they leave, so that's can you go back? And, and this is kind of what I'm getting at to my question. Um, we have given our pastors and deacons the ability to dissolve membership or whatever term you want to use uh, to remove membership or fellowship. It does not have to go to the whole of the body in every case. That is left to the discernment of. Um, the group, the, the, to me, tell the church in Matthew 18 could be the pastors and the deacons or elders or whatever structure you have. You know, it's it's a larger group. I mean, we're talking about, you know, at this point, maybe 25, 30 people that are involved in the decision at West Bradenton. Um, and now if it was an egregious public offense and people knew about it, yeah, I mean, we, we, we have had to stand before the church and tell people some things. Um, that And that happens through our quarterly business meetings. Um and sometimes there's a couple of cases we've done on Sunday morning. That being said, um, I don't know that, again, every offense needs to go to the entire body, I guess is what I'm mm-hmm. saying. Uh, we've given that level of authority to certain people in the church. Should it get to the level of excommunication? Yeah, I, I would I would probably hold a different – I do hold a different position, Sam. We, If it's a in, – in my experience and, – and it's only happened – I've done this two or three times where we've removed someone from membership – uh, because they've refused to, re- you know, repent. We've always taken it to the church as a whole, and um, I, I just don't see a way textually to get to that point. But I understand that others do. So I mean, I, I mean I'm, I'm not gonna. It's not a deal for me. But just the way we understand it is that that we would take it to the entire church. 
And uh, if someone, Josh, were in the case where they knew that church discipline was coming and so they removed themselves, that's happened to me as well before, not a lot, once or twice. Uh, what we'll generally do in the members meeting when we have a, uh, you know, we do, we vote for dismissals and we vote for new members in our members meeting. Uh, during the dismissal section, we'll have a portion where we'll say so-and-so was in the process of church discipline, was in the process of being pursued. And as a, as a result, they pulled, you know, they withdrew their membership mm. and uh, we acknowledge that. And then, you know, uh, it's part of the process, but we won't go into all the details over. I mean, if they've pulled their membership at that point, then they've removed it's themselves kind of from point. under the responsibility and authority of the church. And no, I do know some people who say that you should refuse to allow them to pull their membership and you should still move forward with the process of exercising church discipline. I, that's where I would disagree with them, but, uh, but that's how we've handled it. And in that situation, we contacted them, you know, and they're, they're mad at me. They don't like me. Right. They don't like the elders, but I still contacted them and spoke to, um, the leader of the family and said, so are you removing are you dissolving your membership at our church? And they responded, yes, absolutely. You know, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, okay, I just want to formally acknowledge that, that you are releasing yourself from this agreement. And, uh, and they did. Uh, the question I have at this point, because we're just right up against the time, <clears throat> is do you guys contact the other church? We usually know where they end up. Do you say something to the other leadership? Uh, in most cases, yes. Again, it depends on the level of offense. Uh -huh. Um, but I would say in, in if it's an egregious offense and they've just gone over to a church down the road, yeah, I mean, we give we give a heads mm. up. How about you, Mike? Yeah. No, I won't say every time, but most cases, yes. If, if someone has been removed from church discipline or removed themselves during the process of church discipline and we find out, you know, like the church contacts us and said so-and-so wants to join the church, then yes, uh, we would... Um, we would uh, alert the pastor and say, in fact, we've done that at Brainerd. And I had a pastor tell me, I remember alerting, actually, I'll tell you the reverse happened for us. Uh, we had a person try and join our church from a local church and found out that they were under discipline at the previous church. And so we called the pastor and the pastor said in 18 years that I've been here as the pastor, nobody's ever called me. For someone who is, you know, well, joining yeah. a new church in the process of church discipline. Now, in in that case, it turned out that he was under church discipline because he was a member who didn't attend church, and so and so he said, "Well, if he's joining your church, that remedies the problem. We're glad to send him our blessing, and you know, thankful he's there." But uh, yeah, I, in my case, I would recommend that you say something. Now, I, I would recommend you not go into salacious details and that sort of thing, but I think you would be wise to at least just acknowledge that person was under church discipline when they left our church. And uh, we think you should be aware of that as you think about pursuing church Great. membership. Nice. Great point. And that's, this is where I make a distinction between, hey, you're living with someone and you're not married and you can't be a leader in our church right. if you guys are together. And they get all in a huff and they leave. Right. And they go to another church. Okay, well, that church is going to find out. I don't know that I want to go call that church and be like, hey, you know, you're, they're living together. Right. But if a person is being divisive in the church and intentionally trying harm to harm to the church, the church yeah. Yeah. and they go someplace else because you try to enact discipline, then that church that's receiving them needs to know that. So that's what I mean by the level of offense. Um, you know, we're not we're not on a witch hunt. We're not on the war path. So, you know, if they, if they haven't been divisive and they just got kind of angry and they were loosely connected anyway and they go some other place, I don't know that I'm calling in all of those cases. But if, if they've been divisive, yeah, I'm, I'm calling the other church. Yep. That's all the time we have for today. It's a great episode. Appreciate all y'all's input on that. And don't forget about 
Church Initiative, our new sponsor. Uh, we are really excited about it. I mean, we we found a, a partner for That's the right. podcast they that they these really love us. grief share, grief share, and divorce care. Yeah, you have got to go check these resources out. Um, church Initiative is just a wonderful organization. They equip your church members to get the program started, so it's not on your plate. That's that's key. That's key right there. Um, and we've heard from pastors; they're saying that these are among the easiest, most effective ministries they've ever offered. Visit churchinitiative.org forward slash est to learn more about these life changing support groups. Or you can go to the show notes at samrainer.com. Again, churchinitiative.org forward slash est. That's right. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next week. You've been listening to EST, a discussion for the established church. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and Twitter, as well as subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, Google Play, or your favorite podcatcher. Thanks for listening.